Hallelujah. Well, good morning, good morning. How are we doing? Everyone stand together if you don't mind quickly. We are living in a time, how many, how many of you have been following the prophetic words that's been kind of coursing through the earth? Um, there are a lot of things being prophesied, right? And if you believe in the prophetic and you believe that, that, that God is still speaking through prophets, then your ears are perked to what God is saying. And we're going into a season that's different. Can I tell you my concern? My concern is, is that for the most part, believers don't understand what we have and what we're called to. And I have to be honest, if you are a person that's called to teaching ministry or any type of apostolic ministry, where our responsibility is to proclaim and to lay foundation with the gospel, it scares us because most of the, the believers, the saints, don't want to hear the gospel. We have been trained to receive needs-based preaching. What is needs-based preaching? The idea is it's a business model. If, we, if I can keep you, if, if you're sick, if you're sick and I'm a doctor and you come to me sick, I can cure you and get paid once. But if I keep you coming back to me, I turn a patient into a client so I can just give you just enough to keep you well enough to make it to me. That's the mentality that's in the earth. And so what's missing, what's missing is that Jesus wants to be our doctor, our great physician. He, he wants to pastor you. He wants to shepherd you. He wants to lead you. And the gospel that we preach, we're preaching now is needs-based. So we could fix you this week. I can fix you today. But, just, but you, you'll be back next Sunday. Here's why. Not because you believe in the gathering. It's because you need to hear something else to get you motivated, to keep you out of discouragement, to, keep you, to get you out of, the, out of debt, or to make you feel better about your sin. So what, what God has put in my heart to do the, the beginning of this year based on the things that are being prophesied concerning the church. Um, people are, pro are prophesying this is the year of exposure, this is the year of, their, actually it's the year of distraction. And so I want to talk to you on this series we, we began on Tuesday night. I want to kind of pick it up today. It's called, no, everyone say, no condemnation. No say it out loud, say there's no condemnation. No condemnation. It's, it's in, in the book of Romans chapter 8, and there's a lot of, reading in Romans. I'm going to have you sit in a minute, but uh, you're, you're standing for it right now. You'll be good. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And in some of your Bibles it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But that was not in there originally. The translators added that for the same reason I want to teach you today. There has been a conspiracy for, for decades, actually centuries, to change the word of God to make sure that we keep it works-based, needs-based, and not faith-based. Because if I told you today, the biggest problem that we have is that we are forgiven. And I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to prove it in Scripture. You have already been perfected. You say, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. But as long as you keep believing that and keep saying that and keep living like that, 
that you'll never find out what the Lord Jesus Christ has actually done for you. I'm going to read one scripture that we get right into the word. I'm going to just grab the scripture. It's in, it's in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Here's what Paul says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He's speaking to the church in Galatia. Here's what he said. We're going to sit down in a minute. He said, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. He says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the gospel. But it is not the gospel at all. He said, you are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. He says, let God's curse fall upon anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of gospel than the one we preach to them. Verse 9, he says, I say again, that what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other gospel of good news than the one you welcome, let that person be anathema or cursed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. When Paul began to address the issue of the gospel, he took very seriously what the gospel is. So I want to ask a really interesting question. If I were to bring you up here and ask you to share with me the gospel, I wonder how many different people will have a different idea of what the gospel is. I was, when I was born again, I was born again in April, around April the 28th of 1982. Shut up. So, so that would put me at being saved right at 42, right? 42 years old. Okay, so I would, 1982. And when I got saved, I was saved in the military barracks room, went to church some months later on. But what I want you to understand is when I went to church, what I saw in church was nothing like what I saw in the Bible. And I was born again. The first church I stepped foot in was a UPC church, United Pentecostal Church. I went from there to a church that was a PAW church, Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. From there, I went to a different church. It was a, it was a Church of God in Christ-ish church. The reason I put the ish on the end is because they weren't completely Church of God in Christ. They had come out of Church of God in Christ. It was a different situation. Now, here's, please follow this. I received in, in a year's time four different versions of the gospel. When I was baptized, they baptized me Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I wasn't filled with the Spirit, and so the people who were PAW told me I wasn't, I wasn't filled with the Spirit because I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. So I said, there's a difference? Yes. If you baptize in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, they told me you're not saved. So I have to get saved all over again and get baptized in Jesus' name. Right? Then after that, I went to the Church of God of Christ. But if I didn't dance or, or, or I wasn't saved, if I didn't speak in tongues. So I had to speak in tongues. Now listen, I, have, I received in one year four different versions of what it meant to be saved. I wonder what your version tells you. I was told that if I didn't keep rules and regulations that I wasn't saved. But the Bible was telling me that I didn't have to keep rules and regulations. What we have done successfully over the last couple hundred years is to fully confuse every believer to the point where we've separated into so many different denominations, so many versions of Christianity that the world is confused. They don't know who's saying. Recently, here in Atlanta, a church was put on blast because they decided on, on, on watch night service to, and I, listen, I'm not a dancer, they were swag surfing. 
to, to a certain media. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm going to speak on this because I want you to understand something. Immediately when it hit social media, it wasn't the world so much that picked up stones to stone and crucify them. It was the church. And, and it, what was dangerous about it is whatever opinion you offered online, someone was coming for you based on what you believe. Now, I want to go on record. I know the pastor. And I did not agree with the, the song. Now, here's what's interesting to me, though. And you heard me say this on Tuesday night. I didn't know the lyrics of the song. I saw the video. It was cool to me. Swag, I, I can't dance, but I could swag serve if I had to. I could fit in, right? But, but here's what I want to share with you. People were up in arms because of the lyrics of the song. Here's what's interesting. How did they know the lyrics of the song? That part. Because here's the thing. I didn't know the lyrics of the song. I wasn't listening to the lyrics. I saw my brothers and sisters are dancing together, and the unity blessed me. But, they, but then I had to listen. I had to listen to why it was wrong. And after all the arguments came, I asked, I asked some questions. One preacher told me they took a sacred space and made it unholy. Wait, wait a minute. As far as the, the, the gospel goes, right, God no longer dwells in buildings. Ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God lives in you. Right? So watch this. So how many of you, be honest, don't lie to me because I ain't got time today. How many of you, when you go to family reunions and they start dancing, doing the line dance, you get in the line dance? You don't, if you're with your family, how many of you don't care what the words are, you're going to get in the line dance? I know you get, we need to be delivered, but it's true. Now, here's the question I have for you. When you're, in, when you're dancing, is it about the lyrics or is it about line dancing with your family and friends? It's about, it's about the, the reunion, right? Now, I am not making a case to justify anything. I can't dance. If I was in the building, I would not have been involved anyway. I've been watching and clapping. That's my ministry, right? But here's what I want to show you. Immediately, when the accusations and judgment and condemnation started... Every believer on social media felt inclined or compelled to pick a side and get involved. And 90% of the people arguing on social media did not know if, if it was wrong, they didn't know why. And if it wasn't wrong, they don't understand why. You know what it tells me? You don't know the gospel. The difficult part of teaching the gospel for me is to start you from ground zero and have you sit there and look at me like cows at a new gate. So I picked an interesting topic today. I'm going to teach you how to pronounce it. We about to, listen, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you. Now, when, you, when you're experiencing the ministry of a teacher, what you must understand is that this is not exhortation. It is not designed to inspire. It's designed to instruct. The teaching ministry is designed to equip you with knowledge so you can go to your next thing informed. One of the most frustrating things, especially when you have to face a situation in life, is not having the knowledge to face it. Another frustrating thing is ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You're forever taking notes, forever learning, forever being preached to, and you're none the wiser. So what I'm going to do in this, in this series, No Condemnation, is to show you, I want to begin, we're not going to talk about them. This is not about what happened in the media, what happened at the church. No, this is about you. I'm going to say something to you that you need to know this is for real. The reason that we struggle with love is because we don't feel loved. The reason we condemn 
is because we feel condemned. The reason we don't show mercy is because we don't feel like we've been shown mercy. The Bible says that we love him because he loved us. And if you you know how to read your Bible, the word him is in italics, which means that it was added by the translators. When you read a King James version of the Bible or or any kind of standard translation like ESV or HCSB, these translations that are more um, married to the original text, the the, uh, the italicized words were added by translators for clarity. But sometimes they don't clarify, they confuse. The text that says we, we uh, we love him because he loved us should actually say we love because he loved us. We love because he loved us. And if you don't believe the love of God, John said, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known and believed. the. If you don't know the love of God for you, if you don't believe it, if you think God only loves you when you're good or when you're winning, you will never love people properly. And I'm going to say this before we get into the lesson as well. You will never meet a, a human being that is by human standards, perfect. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something else. There's no such thing among humans as unconditional love. We always love because. What did I just say? We always love There's always a because. And when the because is challenged, our love becomes challenged. God does not love because. He loves by choice. If we're going to love like he loves, this word agape was used. Matter of fact, the word agape in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, rather, was made famous from scripture. The Greeks hardly ever used it. It became, it became a prominent word because it was used in, in the translation of the Bible to describe a love of value. Agape love is not, is not so much the God kind of love as it is the love of value. I love you because I've played value on you. And you've dealt with it before. You've dealt with siblings who always mess up. How many of you got a member of your family that always gets it wrong? How many of you are the member of your family that always gets it wrong? Right? But you love them not because they get it right, but because that's my, that's my sibling. That's my cousin. That's my, right? that's my mother. That's my father. That's the agape love. It's the value. It's, it's value added that causes me to love. Now, as we get into this, Lester, I want to I talk about this. Behind me is a term. It's ume eti. Say that out loud. Say it again. Congratulations, you just spoke Greek. But it's only two words in the Greek. Why ume eti is important is because of the way God speaks. And when the Bible is being translated, there's certain things that God wants to pronounce to us. When a simple no is not strong enough, you have to use another way to communicate that I'm not playing with this no. Have you ever been asked a question and the, the question itself was like, What? And your response couldn't just be, oh, no. It had to be something else. <laughs> so there, there are two primary words in, in Greek, okay? One is ou, the other one is me. They're right there on the screen, ou and me. What's interesting about this term behind me is that when ou and me are used together, the, in Greek it's a double negative, right? Or emphatic neg- negative. In English, though, when we use a double negative, it becomes what? It becomes a what? A positive. But in Greek, it's not like that. Okay? When you say, you can't not, not, you can't not go. You can't not go. What am I saying? Yeah, I'm not saying, you can't not go. I'm telling you, you got to go. All right? 
Yeah, you can't not see this. That means you got to see it, right? In Greek, it's not like that. In Greek, and I'm trying to keep it, when I was talking to my wife about this, I was trying to communicate in a way that was not over the top. Because there are, th- there are ways you can say no, okay? So the word ooh and may, when used alone, it just simply means no or not. But when used together, they constitute in the Greek what's called a double negative, which is strengthening the denial, okay? Did you do it? No. That's a soft no. But if you want to give a hard no, there are ways, depending on where you're from. You want to go on a date with me? It's not just no, it's, okay, right? So, so no, you, you, in your mind, get your mind right. Watch this. So, so these, these words together don't just communicate a no. They communicate what's called a strong no, and absolutely not. Uh, listen, have you lost your monkey mind? No. Ain't no way in the world that's going to happen. No. And not in a million years, no. A nah, no. How many of you reading between the lines? How many of you still don't get what, I'm leaving something out. Because on, in street Greek, that's the exact what they said. Street Greek. It's like, give me that code. What? Man. Right? Right. I wish a Negro would know. You don't mess around and find out. No. I'm trying to help you all understand the emphasis here. The reason that I'm saying this and making a big deal about it is because God spoke like that in scriptures and they didn't translate it. And you have to study Greek to understand that God says certain things. We believe things we believe because they did not em- emphasize the no. So I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture before we get to the meat of the message for you to understand what I'm talking about. This is important because several times, watch this, in God's revelation of himself and his, in his communication to us, he uses this strong negative language to say this is where my heart is and this is what I'm not going to do. And it works on, in our behalf. It's an emphasis, the double negation, the strong no is used in the New Testament so much to emphasize doctrinal positions and divine decisions that are locked in stone. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures for you as I do this. Um, y'all, y'all bear with me. I'm going to try my best. How many of you got your digital Bibles out? Get, get your Bible out real quickly. I want you to go to some scriptures with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. If you have it, you could use King James. It'll be pretty much the same. Listen to this. Jesus says, for I tell you, he was talking to the, 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 uh, the, the common people he was preaching to. And he says, for unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of you have heard that scripture before? Okay, now, but in the, in the Greek, he used, he used this term, uimei. Uime, okay, Ume. And what, he, and what it means is, here's what he says to them. He said, I'm telling you this, except your relationship with God, your right relationship with God is deeper and greater than just rule keeping. Than rule keeping and religious duty, he says, you don't stand a chance in, you stand no chance. 
the language he was using, I'm, he, now you said, was he cussing? He was not cussing, but what he was doing, he was using what's called emphatic negative to tell you this, and there's no way for this to happen. In other words, in, in, a, in a very spiritual and religious way, he was saying that there's no possibility in God's world for you to be, for you to enter the kingdom of God if your whole relationship with God is based on rule keeping. But you understand what we teach people is if you keep all the rules, you'll be good. If God wanted rule keepers, he would, he would have kept the old law. But that's not what he wants. God does not want a family of rule keepers. But what we do, when we go back to the example I use, we'll see people mess up. And we never ask the question, listen to this, what were they going for? Had, had they chose the right song, right? Had, had they chose a Kirk Franklin or Ty, Ty Tribbett song and decided to swag surf to that, would we have had a problem with it? No, because, because with us, it's, 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 it's about the words, right? It's about the words. What have I told you? That most of the hymns, that in most of the hymnals that we sing today came from old Irish drinking songs. People were getting saved so quickly that, that they took bar songs that everyone knew the melodies to and changed the lyrics of the bar songs to Christian lyrics. A lot of, y'all sing, Amazing Grace shall always be my song of praise. That song is called Danny Boy. And this little dance that y'all do, that y'all call the, the, the holy dance, it's called the Foxtrot. Are we dancing the spirit? No, you're doing the foxtrot with a, a, speed, a sped up tempo. But in church, what we, we have constituted that as holy. So when you go to Africa, right, and people are literally twerking in church because that's the way they praise, you'll be, you'll be clutching your pearls. And then a bit more thinking about their body, they're glorifying the Lord in the way they know to dance. Some of y'all ain't coming back because he, y'all say he, he, he t- telling people they should twerk. No. I do not sanction twerking, okay? And I do not sanction profanity in songs. What I'm saying to you is what concerns me is not the song or the dancing, it's the spirit of the people. I'm going to tell you, listen to this story. So some years ago when I, when I, I came off a long fast and um, I went to this church in Birmingham called Living Church Ministries and I was teaching on faith and, and the Lord put in my heart to give the people a project. It was a three-night revival. On the second, actually, the, the second night of the, of the revival, I went to the store and I bought a bag of seeds, or actually peas to cook, right? I didn't know that they were genetically engineered where they couldn't grow. No one told me. So in teaching on faith, I opened this bag and passed out seeds to people and tell them how to plant them. The people knew that these seeds were genetically engineered to not grow. But I didn't know. And so they thought I was giving them a quote-unquote faith project. They took the seeds and took them home, and I'm, I'm none the wise, I'm preaching on the third day. At the end of the, the, the uh, faith revival, an old lady comes up to me, and she says, you're a man of God. And I said, thank you, Mom. And she goes, she said, she showed me the jar. She said, the seed grew. In my mind, I'm thinking, that's what seeds do. So she's telling me, no, it's a miracle. I'm like, no, it's science. 
It's biology. It's <laughs> and she after going back and forth, she goes, "You do know these seeds weren't supposed to grow, right?" I'm like, "Why?" And this old lady says to me, these seeds that you gave us are genetically engineered not to grow. They're for cooking. I said, what? And she said, she held a jar. This was not supposed to grow. And I went, really? And she said, yes, you're a man of God. <laughs> and guess what I said? I'm a man of God. Now, let me show you something. Here, here's the teaching point of the story. There's some things that you don't think are supposed to grow. Because, watch this. You don't think it's supposed to grow because you don't know it's a seed. When the enemy points the finger at someone else's sin, what he's trying to get you to do is to be merciless and to make judgments against them and even to condemn them. Why? Because although you think you're doing something righteous, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you are in no wise enter. There's no way, may you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you're passing judgment based on the same. When Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, they're the only group of people he ever condemned. You know why? Because they spent the entire ministry condemning others. Here you are, passing judgment. You don't even know what they were going for. You don't know what was in the heart of the leader that asked them to do that. You don't even know what happened if that was a song they actually wanted to play. You don't know what happened. Suppose the DJ played the role. You don't know. But you're so quick to pass judgment, you're throwing, and you're dropping seeds as you do it. I don't even know. What you're doing is, you're, watch this, a seed carries the future in it. And then you wonder why is all this happening to me? Because you're planting seeds inadvertently. You didn't even know. You thought, well, I thought it wasn't supposed to grow. It, it, it's a, every deed is a seed. It's going to grow. Now listen to this. There's a lot more where this came from. This, 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 this story, Ume, it comes up a lot where God is using emphasis. He's saying you don't understand the depth of this. Here's another one in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Interesting enough, he says, judge not. Watch this. And you will not be. Now, the first judge not is just, one, is just a single, uh, simple no. I think it's, it's the word may. Krino may is what it says in the Greek. But then he says, and you will not be judged. It's ume. He said, under no circumstance, if you judge, here's what God says. If you, don't, if you don't judge someone and you don't condemn them, there's no way that I will sanction anyone judging and condemning you. They may judge you. They may condemn you, but I won't back it up. If, if, you, if you refuse, if you, if you guard your heart and you say, I will not judge people, I will not condemn them, then when people judge you and try to condemn you, the Lord will make sure that the plant never comes up. He will make sure that nothing they do hurts you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Mercy. God says, if you keep showing mercy, but I don't know if I'm right or wrong, what I'm wrong. If you're going to error, error on the side of mercy. What did I just say? If you're going to error, error on the side of always error on the side of mercy. I just don't want to get it wrong. I just don't want, I just don't want to allow things. Wait, wait, wait. You don't want to allow things? You think too highly of yourself. 
You don't want to allow things that you don't. Let me explain something to you. People are going through struggles that you know nothing about. If you don't know how I got here and what I went through to be who I am and what I'm fighting out of the shell I'm fighting out of to just please the Lord and to serve the Lord and to be, then if you're not going to help me, at least get out of my way. If you're not, if, if, if not going to speak, Jesus said this, this or, or he made this statement. He said this. Every idle word that we speak will be held against us in the judgment. The word idle means ineffective or unassigned word. So when I begin to speak words of condemnation out of my mouth to people, what I'm doing is I am literally putting nails in their coffin. I, I am, I am, I've joined a crew to put it into this story. This, this, this cancel culture is demonic. I said this on Tuesday night. I want to say it again from the pulpit, and then I'm going to move on real fast. You know, someone made a statement. They said, um, on my Facebook page, they said, they said oh, this person for doing this, is he's a false pastor. False? So I want to use this illustration. If you didn't catch the touch point, I want to make this point again. Okay? I'm a, I'm a, and, and this is not to endorse anybody. I know these people. I mean, I, we don't run the same circle, but we've been knowing each other for years. Okay? Are we friends? Well, I would like to believe we are. Okay? But I want to say this. I was first introduced to this pastor's ministry through a song. Praise is what I do. In, season, in different seasons of my life, his songs were the soundtrack of my deliverance. Songs that came from heaven through him. God said, go to that song. Isn't it ironic that he's, they want to cancel him over a song? If you don't learn to recognize the fingerprint of the enemy, he's going to trick you every time. Why would he choose a song? It's because he's showing you what offends him. He's so offended with the songs that made it into the earth through this vessel that he wants to cancel and destroy him through a song. Let me, can I ask you a question? In what ways are you affecting the kingdom of darkness? Because whatever way you're affecting the kingdom of darkness, he's going to come through that very way to destroy you. If you're getting people sent, if you're showing people mercy, he's going to try to use mercilessness against you. He's a petty devil. He holds grudges and he seeks revenge, right? And, every, and, and what we do in ignorance, the church is so ignorant. What we will do is when the enemy decides to get revenge on one of us, all he has to do is wound them. We will kill and bury them. All he has to do is wound them. All he has to do is embarrass them. All he has to do is, is to catch them slipping. He catches them slipping. And he, he actually catches them slipping, he points it out, and he walks on to the next person. You know why he does that? Because he knows that when he leaves them to us, we're not going to go. It's not ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. No, it's you which are spiritual, kill such a one. We prove our spirituality by killing our wounded. Y'all ain't say nothing, but I know I'm talking better than you. I mean, we can't even have an off day. If somebody goes, what, what do you think about that? 
So, so let's go on some more. So there's a lot of scripture that we could go on to in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus declared by the Holy Spirit, I'm the light of the world, right? And he says what Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you come to me, you will in no wise, ume, you will in no way, double negative. There is no daggone way that you ever be in darkness. And when you go down the list in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says this to them. He says, um, I've given you authority over all the ability of the enemy. And here's what he said. And nothing shall by any means. He said, there is no way that anything can harm you. I've given you authority over the enemy's ability. But pastor, I'm hurt because of their posture. If you understood the gospel, Jesus told, Jesus told the woman of the well, if you knew who was asking you for water, you ask me and I'll give you living water. The problem with many of us is that we treat Jesus like he's some dude. So much so that we get into arguments, is he white or is he black? You missed the whole point. He didn't come to identify with a race. He is God in the flesh. He made all the races. That means at any given time, he could be any given race. Well, he's a black man, you know, based on the fact that he's from the Middle East. I get all that. I, I, I identify with that. But here's what we're missing. He, when, they, when he showed up in Luke chapter 24, the disciples were walking with him, didn't know who he was. The Bible says his appearance was not what they were accustomed to. That means he transformed his appearance so they won't recognize him. You're trying to pin him down. And that's not what he came for. The Lord came to redeem us. Okay? Now, a lot of what I want to share with you today is I'm trying to get you to... How many of you understand the idea of Uime? Or um, okay, good. I don't have to do any more work there. So what says Umeeti? There's a statement in Scripture that if I did not prove this to you, the definition, there's a lot more Scripture where this came from. But if I didn't show this to you, then what I'm going to show you in Hebrews, you will think it's heresy. The biggest issue you have with fulfilling purpose is that you believe in the, the Buddhist or Hindu um, idea of karma. Everybody say karma. Karma is not in the Bible. What it is, it's called sowing and reaping. You don't understand how this works. You like your ecumenical religion. You, you want your Christianity laced and spiced and dashed with a few other things. But the gospel, for the gospel to be gospel, it has to be pure. You, so let me share what the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that every single thing you've ever done, that right now there's something chasing you down. That when it doesn't work, it's because of something you did. He wants you to believe, right, that God needs you to be completely flawless to bless you. So when, so watch this, with that idea, here's the idea. When you attain to the level of flawlessness that you think you should have to be blessed by God, now you have the right to turn your nose up at other people because God is blessing you but not them, which means you're better than them. Think about this. If you think that you're being blessed because you're good, then when you go through necessary trials, when you go through necessary struggles, you're going to become depressed and angry at God because you think that God is, not, God is now not blessing you. So here's your whole thing. Your whole thing is 
You think this is a job. You saw a customer going and punching a clock and working for pay, earning. That you've lost the, 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 the ability to discern between earning and effort. You think that whenever God asks you for effort, he's telling you to earn. So you treat all your relationships like that. Everyone in your circle is earning your love, earning your favor, earning your affection. Because that's the way you're accustomed of dealing with God. We have normalized earning. And so you make people jump through hoops. And so the old street prophets just ask a simple question. Tell me who I have to be. To get some, they, they, they don't listen, they don't know. They, too, they, they've been saved, they don't even know. <laughs> I, I feel sure y'all know that, but y'all really saved. How many of you don't know the rest of that lyric? Or you know, y'all just say. How many of you do know it? How many of you don't know it? How you just pretend to be saved because you're in church? Right? All of them. So I, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter... I want, I want to take you through Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, how much time do we have? Okay, so, so watch this. Everybody follow me. I need you to lean into this. I want to ask a simple question. How many of you have ever done something wrong, made a bad decision through a difficult season, and you sometimes still carry the guilt? Okay. How many of you, and I'm asking this because it's important for me to know, you deal regularly with guilt. All right. Have, has anyone ever said to you, you know what your problem is? You need to forgive yourself. Okay. So let me speak to that first. There's nowhere in the scripture where we are directed or even where it's suggested by God that we forgive ourselves. Self-forgiveness is powerless. See, if, if, if all you do is forgiving yourself, if, if you say, I'm just going to forgive myself, it doesn't work like that. There's someone over you. The Lord is over you. The person over you. The, the, word, the word righteousness and justification speaks to being in a right relationship with someone over you. You got it? So if you, you're not over you. Matter of fact, you're the problem. I'm the problem. I need someone to save me from me. The, the, the main reason that we point the finger at people and we become so angry at people. Have you ever had a, per, had a person say something to you like, um, uh, you, know, you know you're good for nothing. The, the reason we become so hostile and angry, listen to this, is because it's not the first time we heard that. The first time we heard we were worthless Someone with authority said it to us, and we internalize that story, and now every person that repeats the story to us, we, we, because we believe it, because that's our self-talk, we become angry with them, and we will more than likely want to cut them out of our lives because they're telling us something that deepens the wound. No? Okay, so, so, so in Hebrews chapter 10, there's 17 verses in a row that communicate deep truth about the gospel. And I was, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I was terrified 
to stand before you and deliver this because normally when I teach this, I'm teaching people on a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate level. But as, a, as, as your pastor, if I don't teach you this, you won't know it. And, it may, and with the first time I say it, it may, it may be over your head, but at some point you have to adapt and adjust to it. Right? Okay, here's what I'm going to say to you. When Jesus saved you, number one, the gospel is not about church. People say, well, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? It is, it is, it, I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. It's like, you don't have to go home if you, you, you could be married and never go home, right? But it will pose a problem. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but it will pose a problem, okay? Here's what you have to understand about your salvation. When Jesus saved you, he saved you for himself. He took the entire load of responsibility off of you. All you have to do is follow him. But he has got to be the most important part of your life. Any idol in your life, any person you idolize, any institution you idolize, any, any currency you idolize, the Lord will violently tear down idols in your life. He, he, God considers anything you idolize to be an enemy. So it means, watch this now, if you have idolized money or chasing the bag, God turns the bag into an enemy and watch this, he'll never allow you to have any measurable amount of it. Because you have, you have, watch this, you've communicated to God that you will put that before him. Any person you put before him, God will remove his hand from the relationship to show you that that person can't be to you what you need. See, well, we, try, we, we try to use things in people to fill this nagging emptiness on the inside of us, right? And we go after things. You scroll on social media all day, every day, YouTube, TikTok. You're so empty. You're feeding in trash cans. Drinking from toilet bowls. Here's why. Because you're so empty. And Jesus said, here's what Jesus said. If you want to satisfy your thirst, you got to come to me. Anyone that's thirsty, let him drink from the, let him drink from the water. If you, I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, I'm the only thing that satisfies you. The only reason. And let me tell you something. And you're jumping from, and you've trained your soul. When your, when your satisfaction shifts based on the hormone that's flowing through your body at the time, you're in trouble. That's, that's a body-driven believer. When you're body-driven, what it means is you will never, ever experience satisfaction. But here's the problem, though. Here's what we do. We judge each other for being hungry. We judge each other... For being thirsty. Do you realize that those appetites were put in you by God? To make sure that you always go after what you're empty of. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to stay with me. Are you all here? Yeah. So in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, 
make perfect those who draw near. Okay, everybody look up. I'm, I'm going to explain this to you. Here's what that means in verse 1. It says that the law, the law of Moses is what we call the, the, like the, the Ten Commandments, rule-keeping, a rule-keeping system. Everybody up on that? Rule-keeping system. Okay, now watch this. The Bible says that the law itself can never make you perfect. It can never, but the, the sacrifices that were associated with, it can never make you perfect, even though you draw near to God based on rule-keeping. Let's talk about shadows for a minute. What is a shadow? A shadow is an object that got caught in the light. So really, when you see a shadow, you don't see the light. You see what's blocking the light. But if you know how to study shadows, you can get an idea of what the thing is that's blocking the light. So what God does, God puts the law in the light. And so the light from heaven projects through the law. And what we're seeing on the ground is thou shall not, and thou shall not. And, thou, and what we're seeing is relationship with God, but not the way God wants it. You all with me? Not, not if you are. So, what you, so God, God is shining a light from heaven, a bat signal, so to speak. That the light comes through the law and it shines in the earth. And in the earth, we see it and we go, this is what God wants. And so we go chasing shadows. I was raised in a house where my parents identified as Seventh-day Adventist. With them, everything was about the Sabbath. But when you study the Sabbath, and even after I got saved, I had this thing hanging over my head about the Sabbath. But the Bible says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read it to you. Let me, let me read it for you. The Bible says, concerning in, in the book of Colossians, here's what it says. So do not let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Wait. Why would anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink? Because the light shined from heaven. It shined through the law. And one of the things that, that we saw a shadow on the ground was don't eat meat. Don't eat pork. Don't eat uh, lobster. Don't eat shellfish. It, 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 it shined from heaven through this law. And so we said, this is, we stand on this. And if you do this, we will kill you. You can only dance like this. Swag surfing is of the devil. It came from a light that shined from heaven. We never saw the light. What we saw was the shadow of the thing standing in the way of the light. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, I mean chapter 10, here's what it says. I want to read it again. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year by year make perfect those who draw near. In other words, no one under the old law system, the Jewish people who were killing, they couldn't ever come near to God. Verse 2 says, otherwise, would they have not have ceased to be offered since the worshiper, the person offering the sacrifices, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin. Everybody say consciousness of sin. Consciousness of sin deals with guilt. The issue in the sacrificial system, now please stay with me, this is important. Because as believers, we are under grace. The old system was called law. Under grace, I believe in what Jesus has done for me and God accepts me. Under the law, there was no Jesus. Under the law, it was me and some animals I was sacrificing at prescribed times. Under the law, watch this, under the law, one sin meant one death. God didn't care. Okay? So the Bible says... 
the issue now was not just forgiveness of sin. It, was, it wasn't just that my sins were forgiven. It was the fact that I was conscious of sin, the lingering, guilty feeling, the constant knowing that although an animal died in my place, let me, let me modernize it. Although I paid the fine and did my time, the failure was still on my record. I paid the fine, but the insurance company still increased my insurance. Why? I got a ticket. I did my time, but they listed me as a felon. So I had some things I can't do. I can't vote, can't work in certain places. It's the guilt. Everybody say, it's the guilt. It's the guilt. Oh, come on, say, it's the guilt. it's the guilt. And then they make you feel if you don't feel guilty, then your, your conscience is seared. The Bible, right, the Bible, here's what the Bible says. The, in, in verse 2, the Bible clearly says, listen, the issue that God has, that God had in sending Jesus, God didn't just send his son. There was a lot at stake. God said, the problem is, is even if I forgave all their sins, if they don't know their sins are forgiven, they won't change their behavior. And I'm going to tell you something. I remember, I went through a great, somebody's oh, thing is playing, cut that off. I remember going through this situation where, where um, I had a failure. Anybody ever, ever had a moral failure? I had a failure. And it's nothing like, like failing and everyone knows about it. And I remember going through, I, I became so depressed. And you know what I said to myself? What's the use? Condemnation does not make people better. If people feel like a throwaway, they will live like a throwaway. If people think that no one expects them to do better, what, what's the incentive? And so what God says is, he said, the way this looks, he said, every worshiper, they will offer all these sacrifices, kill all these lambs, but when they, they were going back home with the guilt. The lamb took care of the sin before God, but nothing took care of the, the guilt inside of me. So that means, watch this now, as I go about my purpose in the earth, and someone says, you can't get this job because you're a felon. I don't stand up for myself. I go, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll apply elsewhere. And God's, God follows me around in his, in his compassion. In, in the, the Hebrew word is hasad. He is the kind of love that follows you around. And God sees you from place to place going. People are telling you, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy. You, your whole response is, I, I understand. I understand. Sorry for asking. And God is watching this big person that he creates shrink all the way down to the place where the purpose that he intended for their life, they can't fulfill it because they see themselves so little. They see themselves so small that the bigness that he called them to is beyond them because with every, with every uh, um, accusation and every condemnation, every stone thrown, people start resisting and saying, I deserve it. In verse 3, but in, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. In other words, every time, can you imagine, let's say, let's say last year, right, Joe came in your face, you punched him out. You grab a lamb, you go to, you go to the temple, to the tabernacle, you kill the lamb, they offer the sacrifice, right? Next year, why, here comes Joe again, you punch him again. You take him, now five years in a row, the major sin you go into, you go into the tabernacle about is punching Joe. Now, after a while, you're going to say, you know what? There's no hope for me, right? Because what's going on is, there's a, every time I offer the sacrifice, it reminds me of how good I'm not. 
The verse 4 says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Listen, if bulls and goats can't take away sins, neither can your good works. Nothing you do can make up for the wrong you do. You can't do enough good. This lie about when I get to heaven, St. Peter will be at the pearly gates, and he will weigh on the scale to see. He put the good on one side. That's some Baptist foolishness. It's not true. If you're Baptist, I'm sorry. Well, I've been to different churches. The first time I heard it was in a Baptist church, Pastor Courtney. It's, it's foolishness, right? So get this. But, but understand this. The way it works is if the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin, the Bible says in verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, listen to what he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. God hated that system. He hated it. You know why? Because although you brought a sacrifice to offer for your sin, you kill the, you kill the lamb, the, you burn it on the altar, the smoke goes up, and when you walk away, God is not staying with the lamb. God is following you. God is with you, and his heart is with your heart. And he's thinking to himself, man, this is an image bearer. I made this person like me. I, I made this person for me. And look what state they're in. It, it got to the point with God where God was radically overlooking people's sins just so he could love them like he did with you. When you were in a car accident and you didn't know him and you shot out Jesus and everything else got destroyed. The car was demolished, but you're there. What, what, watch this. You were coming from or going to commit sin and God still, why? Because God didn't care about a car or he cares about you. Right? You all still here? Yes. Verse 7, Jesus said, Then I said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God, it is, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8, when he, is, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings that were offered by the law. And verse 9, then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. And it, the Bible says he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Everybody look at me. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Say that. He does away with the first in order to establish. One more time. He does away with the first in order to. Can I ask you a question? What's the first? The first what? The first covenant. The first sacrificial system. The first way of being right with him. And this is where I get in trouble. This is where I stand being stoned. Because the people, the guardians of the grail, the people who want you to believe that, that it's either do or die, those people will say, you're giving people license to sin. In Atlanta, they're some of the worst drivers I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I thought New York was number one on the list. Nope, Atlanta, we got them beat. People up here will kill you so they won't miss an exit. Right? They don't want to wait for nothing. They're going to pull out in front of you and stare you down. And if you blow your horn, they will, po they will point their pistol at you. Atlanta is out of control. Watch this. People, I, I am convinced that either people bought their license or they don't have one. Here's the thing. You don't have to give people license to sin. People are going to sin without license. Like they drive without them, right? Here's what you need to understand. What we need to understand is this. 
According to this scripture that we just read, God has done away with the first in order to establish the second. But suppose we want the first. One translation of the Bible says God made it obsolete. So if something is obsolete and the manufacturer is no longer making a program for it, they're no longer upgrading it. They said, when you come to them, you say, well, I have a 1975 8-track. Somebody said, we made an 8-track in 1975? Watch this. The company doesn't support it anymore. Sony doesn't make 8-tracks anymore. Well, I bought it from you. I need it fixed. Sony's like, we don't even make parts for that. We anybody here know what an 8-track is? The, anybody? Anybody ever had an 8-track? I'm about to tell her. How many of you ever seen one? How many of you don't know what an 8-track is? I just identified my young people. Now, let me show you something. <laughs> Can you imagine going to God and praying a prayer that you found in the Old Testament? And you say to God, my sins have overwhelmed me and I can't even look up. And God is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Translation, I brought my eight track to you to be repaired. And I'm going to wait here in sackcloth and ashes until you repent. And God is like, we don't make that anymore. He did away with the first to establish the second. The Bible says the first covenant. Matter of fact, it said the second one is better than the first one because the second one is established on better promises. So here's what we're doing. We are praying the better from the better. We're praying to God about the better promises while standing in the old covenant. We're in one covenant asking for the benefit of another. Okay, you all don't understand it. It's, it's like, you know it's like? It's like you were married once, right? You divorced your first marriage. You went to second marriage, had babies, and then you called the first guy and said, hey, I need some money for child support. That's not a good example. Wrong one. Try another one. That didn't work. Brothers, that didn't, that didn't work. Okay. How many of you get what I'm saying? You're telling God. God is saying to you, why would God send his son to die for you and for me and leave everything the way it was? Nothing changed? Listen to verse, listen to verse 10. It says, and by that, I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 together. Then he added, behold, I've come to you, to, I've come to do your will. He does the will of the first in order to establish the second. And by that will... We have been sanctified. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, somebody blurt out a definition of sanctification. What's sanctification? Huh? Set apart? Huh? Set aside for holy purposes was good. Anybody? So, so when you hear of a sanctified church, what do you think about? Well, we're going to be honest. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. When you hear a sanctified church, what do you expect when you walk into a sanctified church? Huh? Shouting? Huh? Head covering? Huh? Long dress? Close toe shoes? Come on, give it. No jewelry sometimes, right? Huh? No red lips. The devil. Jezebel. What, can I show you something? You see what we did? 
We, because we have not dug in and sat long enough to learn what these things mean, we have assigned definitions to words that mean nothing like what we think they mean. It doesn't mean what you think. Here's what God just communicated. The thing that you're working out in the earth has already been worked out in heaven. And if you live in the spirit, you can tap into what's finished in heaven, although it's not finished in the earth. You could be imperfect in the earth. I'm going to show you in the scripture. It actually says it. You've already been made perfect in heaven. If you walk in the spirit, you tap into your perfection up there. And I will give you stuff for down here based on what's happening up there. Okay, well, watch this. Listen, listen, to, listen to verse 11. It says that every priest stands daily at his service. Which, under, the old, under the old system, the first system, at the tabernacle, the priest could not sit down. They stood at the altar all day offering sacrifices or they went inside to, to light. They were always standing. They could not sit down until their work was finished. They could not sit down until their work was finished. The priest could not sit down until his work was finished. The Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. What does it mean? He's the one that went before God on our behalf. If you don't get what I'm teaching now, this year, the Lord spoke to me last month, in the month of December, he said, in the year 2024, he said the holy writ, W-R-I-T, will come under attack. He said they're going to try to dismantle the Bible and prove through false evidence that the scriptures aren't real. So you have to teach the Bible. I spoke this word to some of the pastors that sit under me, and immediately they went to teach the people how to study the Bible. In 2024, you're going to see things shift, and you've never seen anything like what's coming. It's reminiscent of 2020. We didn't see that coming, and it did not come at the top of the year. It came in March. It has started. I buried my first COVID victim in Alabama. In, in November of 2019, we didn't, the doctors didn't know what it was. The doctor said she died of a strange flu. We didn't know what it was. I had a pastor assigned to sit with this woman. Every day he, his job was to go and sit with her. And she finally passed away. He never got sick. He was there on assignment. Four months later, when they gave us the symptoms of what COVID was, they said that's what she had. That's what Gwen died of. Right? This year, you're going to see something. I'm not talking about the physical disease. I'm talking about you're going to see the world shift in ways. And if you don't know what I'm teaching you, we are under a new covenant. Listen to this, verse 12. But when Christ offered, verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single offering or sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He did what? Now, in a, in a Pentecostal church, you would have been shouting at that. But understand, the priest is not allowed to sit down until his, his time is up. He serves every day, okay? He goes, he clocks in basically. He does his service. When his time, when his shift is over, he goes and he sits down. Until then, he never sits down. If he feels sick, they replace him. He can't sit down on the job. The Bible said Jesus comes. He actually 
offers a sacrifice with his blood, with his body, and then he goes and he sits down. And we as a church don't even know when we read that he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We think, oh, he's in heaven. We don't even, no one ever taught us what it means that he's seated. He's not, he's not standing at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right. It means that his service is done. His work is finished. He is not doing anything else. And if you don't believe what was done, you can't benefit from it. Okay, watch this. We, there's some more. There's some more. The Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time. Listen to this. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool. Now, this is, now here's where, here's where we go, we're ending today. Here's what it says. For by a single offering, saints, listen to this. He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Wait. Wait. Everybody look up for a minute. So what the scripture says in verse 1, Hebrews 10 verse 1, is that the law can't make you perfect. So it suggests that perfection doesn't come from in you. Something has to act on you to make you perfect. But the scripture here says that, that he's, he's perfected those who are being sanctified. Anybody see the confusion in that? So he's saying you're perfect, but you're not sanctified yet. And it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. We're going to make it make sense. Have you ever, anybody ever bought a home? So, so Elder Cassandra was taking us around looking for a house. We were, we were committed to moving to this city. And what we were looking for was the house that was perfect for us. We went from house to house. I got tired. I didn't even notice that I walked into one house and I kept saying, I like this. I like this. But my realtor paid attention to that. So when everything was said and done, um, this, what house do you like? I said, I don't know. And she reminded me, you kept saying you like that house. So I said, let's go back and see it again. And I went back and I was reminded. I walked into the house and I go, I like this house. <laughs> I looked at the arches. The arches, and if you stand in a certain place, you can see arches going straight down the hallway. I like that. It had a room where we could sit in fellowship. That's, I like that. It had an upstairs where we could put guests away from us. I like that. It had a basement that needs to be finished where I could put my recording studio. I like that. It has a yard that's big enough to run in but not too big where I can't, it can't be mowed. I like that. It was away from the neighbors down in this old cul-de-sac kind of. I like that. I decided this house is is, the house is perfect. perfect for us. But there was a problem. The problem was, after we moved in, it was perfect when I found it for me. But it wasn't us. So what we had to do, we had to, we had to, we had to move into the house, give it our flavor, give it our character, put our decor on the wall, put our furniture in it, Design it in the style that we like. It had to have some, some Georgia in it, but it also had to have some island in it. The house was perfect, but we had to sanctify it. Y'all ain't saved. 
the house is perfect for us. But in order to make it ours, we have to, listen, in order, in order to make it wholly ours, completely ours, we had to sanctify it. And the way we sanctified it was I started praying in a certain room. I need, I need, I'm accustomed to the presence of God being in my den. So I would go in there every morning and pray and pray until, watch this now, until one day when I walked in, I sensed the presence of God. Now it's becoming mine. It was perfect when I found it, but I'm making it holy now. It was perfect when I found it, but now it's becoming sad. How many of you understand this? You were perfect when God found When Jesus finished doing what he had to do on your behalf, it made you, just say the word, it made you, it made you perfect. Not because you, before you did anything right, he made you perfect. He made you perfect. But now what is he doing? He's making you his. If I were a preacher, if I could tune up, y'all be in trouble. I, I would dump this room. I would slay this room. If I, but I don't, I don't have a tool. I, the Lord has warned me. I can't do that. But I, this makes me happy. Do you understand, right, that while you're trying, I just, I'm just trying to be perfect. Listen, Paul, when Paul says, not, all, not as though I'm already made perfect, he was talking in the earth. He wasn't talking, he's talking about as far as he's concerned. He wasn't living up the standards, Right? Mature, he, the word teleos in the Greek. He, I'm not yet fully mature, but I'm, as far as perfection, when Jesus died, he offered the perfect sacrifice, and the perfect sacrifice made you perfect. It made me perfect, and all God now is doing right now is doing the work to make us his. Yeah. So, so Pastor, okay, I went so much over time. I want, I want to end here. Listen to this. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What is he doing? He's putting his stuff in us. Putting his pictures up. Putting his furniture in. Watch this. And here comes our topic, verse 17. Everybody look at verse 17 real quickly. He says, it starts in verse 16, for running start. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And their sins and iniquities, I will remember. Wait, I've been up here for a while, so you forgot what it meant. He meant... There is no way, under no circumstance, not, you must be out of your monkey mind. You don't, I will slap fire from you. Do you, this is not just a regular, no. He's just not saying, will you remember my sin? He's just not saying no. Will you remember my sins? He's not just saying no. He's saying you done lost your, I will never, who do you think I am? Would you, how dare you ask me? You bringing up your sins to me? Listen to this. Hear this, hear this. David said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. Watch this. Check me on this. If you go north long enough, your compass will start to reach south. But you could go west or east 
for the rest of eternity and your compass will never read the opposite direction. God did not arbitrarily say as far as the east is from the west. He understands how you made the world. If he had said as far as the north from the south, I'll go to a certain degree and the north pole can bring me to the south pole. Not east from the west. I can go east, west. If I go east, it'll never read west. If I go west, it'll never read east. God said, I put your, I've thrown your sins away. So if you, when you come to me saying, Father, based on that sin I committed last year, God's like, what are you talking about? And their sins, I remember, ume eti. Eti means moving forward from this point forward into the future. What point is he talking about? From the time Jesus died, and I got more scripture to prove my point than you have to argue with me. I do. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God is no longer counting men's sins against them. Wait! He said, Pastor, that's heresy. But it's in the Bible. In more than one place. When you come to the Lord, he chooses, matter of fact, let me read something. Here we go. Psalm 34, verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I can go all the way down. Jesus said, for, the, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. I can go all the way down. So let me get 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because they ain't believe me, Jesus. They don't believe me. No, they don't. They don't believe me. I, just, I keep saying so I could read it. Listen to this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This English Standard Version. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, Pastor, you mean we could sin? Sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. The word, there are two words for sin. One is hamathia, which means, which means missing my purpose or messing up my purpose by choosing the wrong thing. Another word is anomia. Anomia is lawlessness. It means, it means living without standards, boundless living, where, where I can't tell when an enemy comes in or when a friend is there. So I live with not watching my back. I'm not circumspect. I'm living for self-satisfaction. No, he's not encouraging you to sin. He's saying if you're going to fulfill purpose, you could do it with a free heart. You could walk into every situation. When they say no, they turn us down to the house three um, two times. We we apply for that. We try to get the house three times. We got it on the third time. We apply for it the first time. We actually are back in the in that economy. We have to pay. We have to offer more than the house was worth, and we still got our, our bid. When the house came back on the market, I said, "Hmm." The Lord says, "Is this new to you?" I said, "No." Here's the Lord said, "What do you remember this from?" I said, "Every property I've ever bought. If if I bid on a property." And it comes back on the market. I'm prompted and trained by God to go after it again if I think it's perfect for me. We put it for it again. Guess what? Didn't get it. This time I knew for sure. I, I, but we talked about it. I didn't really know for sure until I got a call. Guess what? The house is back in the market. I said, that's my house. Now watch this. Nothing in my past, in my credit report, in my history... Nothing could tell me that was in my house because now I knew, watch this now, it, God was not giving me that property because I earned it. He was giving me the property because he wanted me 
What are you not getting from God because you don't think you deserve it? Because you think you didn't do enough to earn it? Because the devil keeps telling you what you did because of your rap sheet. Because of your record. I will not remember the sins or iniquity. Ume eti. No more. And I want to say to you, you've disqualified yourself for the last time. But the Lord said, no more. No. You've given yourself a reason. Pastor, you don't know. I, I, did, I did some time. I did, I did some, no more. I failed in the last relationship. You know, no more. They said, I've disqualified myself from ministry. No more. What's your no more? What is the enemy holding against you? And telling you that you have to make up for it. You have to pay for it. Either Jesus paid it all or he, paid, he didn't pay anything at all. But it can't be both ways. He said, but they didn't do what I do. The Bible didn't say y'all have sinned. It says all have sinned. And the reality is this. If you do not begin to take this word of God to heart. And to challenge the prevailing doctrine. You're going to find yourself in a world of hurt, when you have to stand up and say, in spite of what I've done, in spite of who I've been, in spite of what I've been through, Jesus died for me, and God loves me. And I'm going to tell you this right now, you better, we live by faith, but we die in faith. You better get this under your belt before it's time for you to breathe your last breath. I'm not afraid of dying. Now, I watched a video of Dr. Martin Luther King, and I always get stirred when I see him. The conviction. I've been to the mountaintop. The conviction that he had. He knew something that other people in the room didn't know. And when he died, the FBI brought out all kinds of stuff. Doesn't nobody care about that. God already fixed that situation. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know what? I never heard stuff like this before. But I need to get my life together with Jesus. If you're here and you're not saved. If you're here and you, you've been around church but you've never given your life to the Lord. If you're here and you've been with the Lord but you walked away. I'm going to need you. To make things right with God today.